Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast where we watch and talk about every episode of Call the Midwife uh, without spoilers. Usually. Uh, usually. <laughs> Except the last episode. Uh, I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paula Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And this week we are watching the season five Christmas special. One note, we've talked about it online, but the season five Christmas special, the season four Christmas special, CBC Gem places this in season four, but it actually... No, they place it at the end of season five. They place it at the end of season five. <laughs> no oh, even worse. So much worse. <laughs> this comes right before season five or right at the end of season four. I'm labeling it season five, episode zero. This episode of Call the Midwife was directed by Juliet May and written by Heidi Thomas. <laughs> Heidi Thomas created the show and has written many episodes. And Juliet May has directed several episodes. We last saw her on the third episode of season four. Um, this is her last episode so far. No spoilers, I guess, but uh, <laughs> spoilers of real life things. So this is the last thing she directs for uh, Call the Midwife so far. Jen, would you like to take us through the recap and stop my rambling? Hey, we're back. <laughs> we told you we would be. Um, so let's get into this. Mature Jenny narrates about Christmas being about a birth and a mother's love as babies are baptized by Tom and Barbara leads a lackluster children's choir. In the congregation is Iris, the church's cleaner. Sister Winifred makes a Christmas pudding, but when she leaves, Sister Monica Joan puts the pudding on the stove and wanders off. Trixie visits Rosemary, a twin pregnancy, and Iris's niece. Later, Iris visits with a gift of oranges and finds that Rosemary is not quite ready to deliver. Iris looks mournfully at the cot and later talks with her husband about their lost child, whose name was Lorna. Sister Monica Joan falls ill and is taken to bed. Meanwhile, the pudding explodes in the kitchen. Various people are shown getting ready for Christmas. Trixie refuses alcohol. Barbara is sending cards, and Patsy is missing Delia. Violet and Fred dress Fred as Santa and get the display of children's goods in the window ready for the raffle in benefit of the maternity home. Sister Monica Joan is delirious with fever and cared for by Nurse Crane, and later Barbara attempts to feed her, and they discuss television and Barbara not being able to go home for Christmas. Tom gets a letter from the BBC finding that they want to film a church service at Poplar. It's divisive amongst the nuns and nurses. Barrington Swan from the BBC visits the church and offends everyone by implying that the parish is poor. Iris is asked to help with the service, and Sheila is tasked with the choir and the costumes. Before we even, where would you like to start? He offends everyone by implying that the parish is poor, which of course it is. Yeah. Uh, but as Sheila says, like, it's not the richest parish, but everyone's doing their best and exactly. he can get stuffed. Yeah, exactly. She, okay, she doesn't say he can get <laughs> stuffed. So before we even start, I wanted to mention the two guest stars in this episode. Uh, 
Victoria Hamilton plays Iris mm-hmm. and uh, Adrian Scarborough plays Barrington Swan. Victoria Hamilton is, to me, a big name actress. And I think she's not necessarily to everyone unless they're kind of in the world that I'm in. But she is in three different... Uh, Jane Austen adaptations. So I feel like she's like the Jane Austen actress. Which three? Uh, She is in, uh, she's Colonel Foster's wife in Pride and Prejudice 95. Uh, She's Henrietta or Louisa, no, Henrietta in Persuasion. And she's in uh, Mansfield Park as well, but I can't remember the name of her character. Um, She also plays the Queen Mum in The Crown, uh, the the early seasons with uh, Claire Foy. Adrian Scarbo, I often get him confused with Mark Williams, who is Harry Potter's dad, who is uh, Arthur Weasley, but he is in tons of things, including like Doctor Who. He was in Sanditon, which is another Jane Austen <laughs> thing, and he's just such a face I recognize from lots of BBC things. So it feels like, I don't know, it's the Christmas special, therefore there's like extra... He's in Les Mis too, isn't he? Yeah. He is. He's a small part in Les Mis, yeah. but he is. So... He looked so incredibly familiar. Yeah, I couldn't just, place him. He's just one of these BBC actors and everything. Um, so it just feels like the Christmas special. Sometimes they're bringing out the big guns, but maybe I just think of them as the big guns because I'm in the, <laughs> like, I just love, like, BBC shows and stuff. <laughs> so I want to start, as I often do, as I almost always do, with the uh, voiceover narration mm-hmm. that Mature Jenny talks about. I mean, this is the Christmas special, um, and she starts by reflecting on Christmas, mm-hmm. and particularly that Christmas is about a birth, Yeah. Uh, as we see Tom christening a baby. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this is, I think, uh, what I always like, <laughs> what I uh, tediously do, is try to connect the voiceover to the theme of the episode. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works really well and sometimes less well. Um, but this is absolutely, I think, like, this is both an episode about Christmas and we'll see that in both in, like, how it is set, but also Sister Monica Joan and uh, her story and, like, Tom and Sheila both are explicitly, like wondering and making claims about the point of christmas yeah absolutely uh and then also that like this is a episode i mean every episode of call the midwife is about birth but this is an episode about uh miraculous miraculous birth birth. i mean spoiler (laughs) spoiler to the end of the episode but there is an unexpected and miraculous birth in this episode Mm -hmm. which is uh uh flagged in this beginning Mm -hmm. absolutely um, are you familiar with this service that they have? That it's like a children's service where like the parish role is read or something? No. I didn't really look it up, but I'm wondering if you did. No, I uh, do usually know the churchy stuff. <laughs> yep, you do. <laughs> um, but I don't know this service particularly, mm-hmm. no. Uh, the parish role... But definitely it seems to include children who have passed because the reason Iris is there is because they mention Lorna. And why don't we continue to talk about Iris to start yeah, off? Absolutely. So like she is the, uh, she's cleaning the church and they mm. mention her doing a great job cleaning the church. But she's also there at this service uh, and 
unhappy and mm-hmm. she goes back to her husband who says like you shouldn't go to this service it just makes you sad yeah uh and pretty immediately we i mean if we didn't read the clues pretty immediately we're told textually that like she lost a baby years ago mm-hmm. who is still on the parish roll and so her name gets called and she's there to hear it and she says she's happy when she's there but sad to leave and Christmas is an especially hard time for her. Mm-hmm. And she's like connected. She's a, a like the central character really of this episode Very because much so. she connects. She has her own story, and she also is involved in the two major plot lines of the episode, yeah, which the are o- the only plot line she isn't involved with is Sister Monica Joan. Yes. Yeah, I guess I said the two major plot lines, but there are three major plot lines of the episode. Mm. But two of them are the children's choir is going to be on BBC and she's involved in that. uh, And the uh, twins being born is like the birth of the episode, Mm. the birth that is uh, flagged at the beginning of the episode as this is our birth of of this week. Mm -hmm. And that's her niece. And we see her being... uh, wanting to be supportive and wanting to be excited about her niece's uh impending childbirth but she feels uh unwanted and also we see in the performance as much as in the words that she like is jealous and grief filled and she wishes like she wishes she could be a grandmother she wishes she could be a mother of a living child and she's mourning her daughter and has been we don't see it in this we don't hear the date in this section but we do later on that it's 20 years i think 22 years 22 years yeah um this is where i'm really happy that it was someone who could act this well is that like she does an amazing job of showing someone who is smiling through tears all the time yeah like, her entire performance for the first, well, for the entire episode is smiling through tears. And whether those are happy tears or sad tears, depending on the moment. Yep. Yeah, and um, she does it. She's amazing. Like, yeah, does such a good job. It's a really well done, like, face acting kind of thing. Uh, her husband, uh, I don't know if it's important to mention, but is the greengrocer. So there's also... Uh, a little bit of her being very deeply in the community because yes. the greengrocer is a vital part of the community. Yeah. And they're just... It's the connected to the um, voiceover at the beginning that, like, this is an episode about... Every episode of Call the Midwife is about childbirth, but this is also an episode about uh, children missing. Mm-hmm. And the line in the voiceover is that, like, Christmas is the beginning and end of a journey. The beginning of a journey and the end of one, which is one of the kind of, um, I think, major thematic statements of the whole show. That birth is both the end of a story, the Mm. end of a journey and the beginning of one. And that's why we have all the connections always of birth and death. Because... In one sense, birth is the end of a journey and there's grief that comes with that even when the child is healthy and ever, because it's the end of something. And in another sense, death is the beginning of a journey and there's celebration in that even though there's loss uh, and grief and pain. 
and especially in the context of like the religious context of the nuns and the idea that uh the show usually i think pretty uh gently but uh sometimes less gently takes the worldview that death is the beginning of something as well as the end of something mm-hmm. which not everyone uh, agrees with but i think the show does mm-hmm. anyway and that's all tied back to that's all tied up in this like uh iris's grief for her lost daughter mm-hmm. do you want to talk a bit about uh I don't know if I have anything specific to say in this section, but do you want to, since we're talking about Iris, do you have anything to say about Rosemary and the twins? I feel like Rosemary and her mother are fairly non-characters. They're kind of a Mm -hmm. boilerplate, you know, mother, pregnant mother with twins. She's exhausted of being pregnant and wants to give birth. I feel like the focus of that entire story is solely on Iris. They're very background. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is also, I said, do you have anything to say? And now I'm uh, talking <laughs> over. It's also such an interesting choice and one I really like from the writing that uh, we usually, we, our focus character would be either Rosemary or her mother, whatever, who I don't, whose name I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like... There's a birth in this episode, and we're focused on the ant. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, an interesting it's choice, and I like it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, we see the through line of Trace of Trixie refusing alcohol, mm-hmm. not by saying, you know, I have gone to AA and stuff. She's saying, she's just saying, um, oh, it's terribly bad for the complexion. Yeah, she's using her, she's using excuses at this point, but. She's she's not drinking, which is good. It's an interesting. I have like uh, thoughts. Only the little thought that like what a common experience uh, of like lying to hide your virtues, mm. <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. She is uh, pretending that it's her vanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's she's actually uh, making herself out to be a she. I think she thinks that like admitting that she's an alcoholic would be admitting her faults, but it feels to me like actually she's hiding a strength behind a fault. Mm-hmm. Well, and she doesn't want. Uh, she doesn't want to be like a center of gossip and whatever. She doesn't want to uh, admit that she's she's trying something, and because if it fails, then they'll all know. Yeah, that too, that too. But it's just, that was my reflection on that moment, was like, she's doing something she should really be proud of, mm-hmm. uh, and, but she's hiding it. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk, while we're talking about just little moments, do you want to talk about um, um, Violet throwing up Fred's pants? <laughs> <laughs> it's cute. I don't know. She doesn't. She refuses to. I'm not going to bite the thread because it's a little too close to your bottom. It's hilarious. <laughs> is this the first time we've seen Fred as Santa? I can't remember. No. No. He, has he been in Santa like every single? I think he's Christmas been Santa episode? every Christmas. <laughs> You'll have to let us know, guys. If you remember, tell us. Now. I didn't. I didn't go back and check, but I. Yeah. If not every Christmas, definitely this isn't the first time. Yeah. 
but yeah. I love, always love Fred as being Santa. He split his pants and she's sewing them while he's wearing them. And it's just like a ridiculous little scene. Um, can we just talk for a second about the pudding scene where Sister Monica Joan is rooting through the cupboards to try and find the alcohol to go in the pudding? Yes. <laughs> she's li- there's a, a little while of her rooting through and we don't know for what. And then yeah. she pulls out the brandy. Yep. It's just yeah. funny that uh, that's the brandy that later on uh, Phyllis will <laughs> gargle with. It's just the brandy through line of the episode. Chekhov's brandy. Chekhov's brandy. It's just... Um, I love Sister Winifred and her relentless optimism that we've mentioned before, making the Christmas pudding, and then, of course, it gets exploded. Yes. And the, okay, like, the explosion of the Christmas pudding is, there's, uh, in terms of tone and register, like, mm-hmm. the, the Christmas pudding is kind of funny, and finding the brandy, and putting it on the burner, and it keep, it keep flashing to the boiling... Christmas pudding and it's uh, ominous and then it explodes and it's like kind of comic that Christmas pudding all up the wall and on the ceiling but at the same time there's like Sister Monica Joan has collapsed and that's why she's not caring for the pudding Mm -hmm. and so it's like not really funny at all. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That she's I like watching it and thinking Oh, Sister Monica Joan, you went off and forgot to take care of it. And then we see Flash to her, like, unconscious on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, which brings us into uh, the other, one of the other major plots of the episode, which is Sister Monica Joan's health. Yeah. Um, this is not the first time that Sister Monica Joan has been unwell. She's often, like, mentally or physically unwell. Mm-hmm. And here we have her... Uh, with a fever and a cough and uh, also thinking back on her childhood, thinking back on her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have her talking about her mother and uh, Sister Julienne says she often does when she's ill. Mm-hmm. She is, talks to Barbara, well, Barbara's trying to feed her, uh, feed her some liver and there's, the funny exchange between them of like it smells like urine it's, it's liver it's good for you well, it's, it's uh, specifically like it smells like urine it's not kidney it's liver yeah <laughs> it exactly. doesn't smell like yeah, urine exactly yeah. and uh drama queen <laughs> <laughs> exactly and barbara starting to cry because she can't go home for christmas and <laughs> nurse cranes like nurse cranes sister evangelina sometimes you could put either one of their lines in their mouths because the line about her salting the gravy with her tears is such a line that both Phyllis or Sister Angelina already say. ample salt in that gravy. We don't need to be crying about going home. And she's also, like, Sister... I mean, uh, Nurse Crane has, like, no sympathy for Barbara not going yeah. home for Christmas at all. Absolutely. She's like, we're gonna have a great time. Yeah. Suck it up. But uh, in that scene, Sister Monica Jones says one of the kind of central thematic statements of the episode which is that everyone should go home for Christmas Mm -hmm. was not the very reason that Jesus was in Bethlehem because uh, Mary and Joseph went home. Everyone should be home for Christmas. Mm -hmm. That's what Christmas is and what it's for. And when I said, like, 
Sister Monica Joan explicitly makes claims for the purpose of Christmas. And one of the claims she makes is that Christmas is the time for going home. Which, by the way, is like, why did it take them so long to figure out where she went? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, that's that's a story for another moment. But she says, like, she's thinking about her mother and she's thinking about going home for Christmas and that it's sad that Barbara can't go home and she doesn't explicitly say that she's going to go home. But And the idea, too, of, like, tying it back to Christmas, like, Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem because the census requires that they travel to their home to be counted. That's part of the Christmas story. Mm-hmm. There's also a, like, um, theological sense of the incarnation as uh, God making a home on earth. And so the sense of, like, Christmas as the time when you go home is not just... Uh, it's not just in the, like, on the surface. It's, like, mm-hmm. a profound part of, of what even the theological idea of Christmas is about. Mm-hmm. Um, lastly, in this section, the Tom gets the letter about BBC and the debate between the nurses and nuns around the table is so interesting about the sacredness of the space and filming with a church service. And I think about how uh, this is, I can't remember if it's after or before, it must be after Queen Elizabeth's coronation. Hmm. And that was the first, like, they filmed that. And that was a really big deal that they filmed this sacred moment. And it kind of opened the floodgates for these other sacred things being filmed. And the idea, yeah, the the debate at this moment, and it continues through the episode, is said by the nurses and nuns. It's also said kind of between Barrington Swan and Tom, mm-hmm. uh, with Tom on the opposite side of what he was at first. Yeah, absolutely. That, like, this is a, a worship service, not a show. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of uh, Sister Julianne objects to the church being filmed and sister evangelina really objects to it being filmed is nothing sacred mm-hmm. and tom says at first like what could be better than to bring the church service into the homes of people all over britain mm-hmm. and we also see it as like the way that barbara can uh sort of be home for christmas or she, or she can't be with her family but her family can be with her yeah and there's a bit of like oh, this TV show is telling me how great TV is. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that. You're right. <laughs> but like, they are go back and forth on it, but I think the show is on the side of TV good. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's a TV show. But the like, idea of, that we see again with Barrington Swan and Tom, and like, this is, the show must go on, and... That hasn't happened yet, but the uh, he is producing and managing and directing the church service, so it'll be good on camera. And Tom and Sheila get offended, uh, both because he's insulting the parish, but also, especially in the kind of next scenes, Tom is like, "You're thinking of this as a TV show, but I, it is a church service." Yeah, exactly. 
And that's exactly what Sister Julienne was and Sister Evangelina are worried about. That, like, can you do both, actually? Mm-hmm. Can you be, like, yes, you're going to bring what you're bringing into all the different homes, but uh, is what you're bringing still an act of worship? Mm-hmm. Is what they are afraid of. And I think the sh- by the end of the show, the show says, yes, it is. But there's a real anxiety about that, right? It's interesting to think about uh, that this is the late 50s, early 60s, uh, putting a worship service on TV when this is right on the cusp of televangelism and worship being on TV being much more common and then becoming, I feel, corrupted by that. And so I don't think that personally that they should open up a church to to be a show or I think that that you need to have be a very careful line when you're televising acts of worship that there can be making it into a show and that can take away from the actual act of worship yeah and some people would say like eventually corrupted some people would say it was immediately corrupted exactly um I think of I just think of, we watched not too long ago, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. That's exactly where I'm coming with this. Yeah. And on that show, they on that movie, which is a movie about Tammy Faye and Jim Baker, mostly Tammy Faye, but Jim is also there. Um, and in that movie, they talk about the same idea and the like attitude of Jim Baker in that movie, and presumably in real life, is like... The more people see it, the better. That's the point. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of Tom's attitude. Exactly. Like, bringing the church to people is what we want. But there is a real concern that, like, you're bringing something to people. Is it still what it was? And is it still something that's worth bringing to people? Mm -hmm. And I think in the story of, exactly as you say, in the story, definitely in the story of uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye as presented in that movie... Like, they are, Jim especially, uh, and it seems to me in real life, is more concerned about bringing something, no matter yeah. what it is. And then, you know, making money off of it. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to our next section. Um, Sister Monica Joan wanders out to the market, and Sister Evangelina finds her buying tinsel. Back at Nanatus, the two nuns quarrel as Sister Monica Joan makes a wreath and is upset that the rest of the world doesn't have to wait until the 18th to decorate for Christmas. They both lose their tempers over childhood hardship. Rosemary meets Iris on the street and asks her to accompany her to the clinic, where her water breaks. Dr. Turner finds that there is an outbreak of measles. Patsy and Barbara go on a bus with children to see the lights, while Trixie and Sister Mary Cynthia deliver Rosemary's twins. Iris holds one, while the other is born breech. Then Rosemary's mom enters, and Iris is left upset. On the bus, Tom and Barbara chat, while Patsy sees Delia on the other side of the road with her mom. One of the children on the bus comes down with the measles, and the next morning, Iris visits Violet to discuss Lorna, who died at four months old. Nurse Crane finds that Sister Monica Joan is missing in the morning, along with her mother's jewellery. Iris and Sheila run auditions for the choir, and we hear them sing as Sister Evangelina, the police, and Fred search for Sister Monica Joan. Fred finds her shoes and her habit as everyone frets and fears the worst. Sister Evangelina 
decorates for Christmas. So let's talk about the more trivial things first. Um, yeah. And one of the trivial things I want to mention and then get out of the way is Tom and Barbara on the bus sharing candy. Mm-hmm, being a little flirty. Being a little flirty. And there was a little bit of flirting earlier, I think. I don't know that it was uh, explicitly said, but there was like... Maybe I'm reading into it too much that Tom was like, I was really hoping that uh, Barbara could come and be on camera. Yeah. I'm like, because she's pretty. <laughs> uh, Barbara, very busy. Don't Barbara, you know? Yeah. And maybe that's because she's the children's choir conductor, but I don't know. I think that there's like, the BBC wants someone pretty on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, they like flirt over... Uh, over candies. And it's all very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, the other kind of um, less... I mean, it, it's going to come to fruition later, but we we have measles in mm-hmm. this little section. Yeah. Um, we should just mention now that Dr. Turner finds one kid with measles and then there's a kid on the bus who has measles and mm-hmm. there's like worries of an outbreak and it's again Chekhov's measles yeah and they also mention vaccines for that the vaccine against measles has not been developed yet that it's that it's being developed but not uh available yeah yeah and i i think this happens actually in the next section but when the kid who was sick with measles on the bus later dr turner visits her and is the mother's like, can't you give her antibiotics? And he's like, they won't help. Yeah. I remember having measles. It was like the sickest I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, what of the more weighty stories, what do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about Iris and Rosemary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about them. The The twins are delivered. Uh, there is the moment of delivering a breech birth again which that we saw that was chummy yeah and the interesting way of like letting the the body of the baby have to hang for a moment and then uh the mother enters like right at the kind of wrong time but still manages to turn out okay uh I think that's just like our dramatic birth moment in this mm-hmm. in this uh, first part of the episode. It's an interesting just to contrast uh, the breach hanging breach birth with Chummies is like Chummies was so stressful, mm-hmm. and this one there's twice the midwives and a doctor, and a doctor. there, and like mm-hmm. you know the same thing happens, but neither the characters nor the audience is like worried Mm -hmm. it's gonna be fine this is just what we do and it'll be fine yeah yeah i love that like well i'm glad i'm here the next one's breach but does he do anything (laughs) (laughs) he hands he hands trixie a towel (laughs) he's there in case i know exactly um so iris gets to hold the little girl and clearly like she's so upset this is where where i really of talking about like the face acting is that she's so happy and so sad at the same time. Yeah. And then her sister comes in and is, I'm a grandma. I'm a grandma. Give me the baby. You know, we're going to be quite the double act. And Iris is just shunted off to the side and upset. Yeah. With good reason for feeling upset. And for feeling sidelined and being sidelined. And like, 
part of me is like her sister is, you know, not very sensitive to her. But no. on the other hand, I'm like, you know, it is the mother and her mother and the aunt is not the mother. Yeah, exactly. And so like, it's a little, we just see little interactions, mm-hmm. but like. She has reason to feel hurt and upset without her sister actually doing anything wrong. Yeah. And without, yeah, her making it about her in that moment. Yeah. I think it's so, uh, once again, realistic that it turns out we find out fairly soon that it's been 22 years. And so, of course, most people aren't thinking of a baby that died 22 years ago. Yeah. They're thinking, you know, that isn't... The people, other people move on with their lives, but the parents, the parent of that child doesn't necessarily. And it is still a gigantic loss that looms large over the rest of their lives. Yeah. But gigantic losses to one person do not, aren't as much to others. And we have her going and talking to Violet and Violet who remembers the baby's name, mm-hmm. which is like, really? Like I found that. Even just watching, mm-hmm. like, really uh, moving. Yeah. It's lovely to have that little sensitive moment with Violet. And we also hear, this is when we find out that the baby was four months old. Mm-hmm. Which, like, up until now, watching the episode, I assumed it was, like, that died in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And not that that would be less of a loss, but yeah. four months is such a long time to have a baby that is then lost. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Not to like minimize the grief of any, uh, of the death of any child, but mm-hmm. uh, it feels different when you have had, when you've had that time with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Anything else to say about Iris at this moment? Uh, no, I think mostly we want to move on to uh, Sister Monica Joan. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, Sister Monica Joan and Sister Evangelina have this argument that is so typical of them, but it escalates more than we've seen in the past. So yes. it's this over their upbringing, over their, you know... Sister Monica Joan wants the finer things, despite being a nun. She's like, could we just have a television? And like, we're living a life of poverty, Sister Monica Joan. I'm sorry that you grew up rich, but we're living a life of poverty. Is basically, sister. she doesn't say that, but Sister Evangelina's attitude. Yeah. And like, look at the, the people in this parish do not need a television. They need loving care. Yep. And that Sister Monica Joan in her illness, like a, the last scene when she was still bedridden is like, I don't want to listen to the wireless. It's boring, basically. Yeah. I want to see pictures. I want a television. And we have her here again, uh, yearning for a television and also for tinsel and Christmas trees. Mm-hmm. And this by this is like <laughs> a fight that hits home a little. Can we decorate for Christmas early? No, we are not allowed to decorate for Christmas early. Yes, that is something that Paul has believed in for a long time. It's a struggle even to, like, 
you didn't want to decorate at the beginning of Advent the way I was like, okay, we'll wait until the start of Advent. That's, you know, late enough. And you would rather wait until like Christmas Eve. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think this exchange, uh, Sister Julianne says exactly what I think. Like, let's focus on Advent during Advent and let's decorate for Christmas at, when it's Christmas. The, the 18th is a little early for me, but you know, I <laughs> they, you twisted, you know, my arm. That's fine. <laughs> we, our tradition in our home is to decorate on the first of Advent and has been for years. And that was a compromise taken from me with... Uh... <laughs> it's true. When with you have fighting. children... Yes. I'm, you can't I'm joking a bit because I actually don't resent it. But it was like, I get where Sister Julienne is coming from and Sister Evangelina is coming from. And I've also heard Sister Monica Jones' argument put to me by you, Jan, yeah. and our kids and other people <laughs> that, like, the world is leaving us behind. Like, you're, you're, yeah, okay, Christmas is, Advent isn't Christmas, but everyone is decorated for Christmas. Why can't I celebrate Christmas? <laughs> uh, that's where Sister Monica Jones is coming from. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I love this fight. Because it's about really superficial things and really profound things at the mm -hmm. same time. It's about like tinsel and Christmas trees, but it's also about like the the hurt on Sister Monica Jones' face when Sister Evangelina is like, "You never suffered." <laughs> yeah. Because they're both right. Yeah. Like Sister Evangelina did have hardship growing up that Sister Monica Jones still doesn't understand after years of living a life of poverty. Mm -hmm. um, because Sister Monica Jones' poverty is voluntary. Yeah. And that's just not the same thing. But also, Sister Monica Jones, like, we, this is not the first time we've heard, and we'll see it more in this episode, her childhood was unhappy. Mm -hmm. And when she goes, we didn't see it in this section, but when she goes to her home... And she says, like, I was not often happy here, mm -hmm. but it was my home. Yeah. And this is, like, this is news. We knew that Sister Monica Jones' childhood was unhappy yeah. and rich. Mm -hmm. uh, vaguely unhappy. I think we see it just a little more of why it was unhappy in this episode. But still, like, her mother wasn't warm. She's fixated on her mother mm -hmm. in her old age. But they weren't close. Much like, I imagine it, much like Chummy and her mother, but without the reconciliation. Mm, that's true. Uh, I like the interstitial of the children's choir singing and them looking for Sister Monica Joan. Yeah, and what they're singing is in the bleak midwinter. Mm -hmm. Which is, again, like, connecting the theme of Christmas to the story of this episode. That, like... Sister Monica Joan, out in the cold, uh, presumably wandering, you know, alone and cold and in danger while we're singing in the bleak midwinter. Mm -hmm. Because uh, when you live in a heated house and there's a even there's a tree inside and lights on it, like the bleak midwinter is all outside and we're all fine, actually, mm -hmm. sitting by the fire. Um but Sister Monica Joan is, there's, uh, she herself, um, makes the connection between her and Joseph and Mary traveling to their home. 
Uh, Joseph and Mary didn't actually travel in the bleak midwinter because it was Israel. <laughs> <laughs> and not necessarily December. <laughs> and not necessarily December. But the symbolism of the bleak midwinter uh, in that carol that, like, uh, the symbolism in the carol is the, the earth was cold and uh, infertile and separate from God when... Uh, the incarnation happened and we have sister monica jones separate from the people who love her and out in the cold and you know they're worried about her life i also i think it's so well done and such a good choice of song also to interweave with mm -hmm. her wandering alone yeah one more little thing in this section uh that it gets big in one second so you're gonna oh, say yeah, it big that's but Patsy sees Delia on the side of the road. Yes. And in this section where you, where we've stopped, like, nothing more comes of that. But let's not let that go by without commenting yeah. on it. We talked last episode about, like, being really mad about Delia being written off the show. And yeah. hey, look, the very next episode, Delia is back. Yeah, and she's fine. Like, not we don't fine, know yet. but, like, she's... Yeah, they. it feels like they just took it back. Which... Yeah. I'm glad they did, but also it was cheap. Yeah. I'm still mad. <laughs> but not enough but this to give up on the show. Of Delia, who is we we mention her earlier when they're like when uh Trixie doesn't want to drink. Yeah. They're like they is, Delia. is Delia and they're all pretty Trixie's a little, I feel like, uh insensitive in that moment too even if delia was nothing to patsy but a friend that like oh you're never gonna see your friend again and she's brain damaged it can be awfully hard past the quality street <laughs> yeah totally but we have a reminder <laughs> for our characters or for the uh audience that uh delia was not okay yeah and we don't expect to see her again and patsy doesn't expect to see her again so should we get into the next recap here, speaking of Delia? Yes, take it away. All right, so Delia comes to see Patsy, and they meet on the street and then get coffee. Delia begs her not to let them go. Fishermen find a body, and police bring in Sister Evangelina and Sister Julianne to identify her. But it is not Sister Monica Joan. Dr. Turner, Turner is called out to several measles cases, and all children's groups get suspended, including the choir. Mr. Swan is angry about the lack of children's choir, but Sheila smooths ruffled feathers and tells him there will be a show. Iris donates Lorna's cradle to be the manger for the service and confesses that she has not had joy at Christmas for 22 years. Sister Monica Joan finds shelter in a barn at night and later makes her way to her childhood house. Squatters are now living in it, and she tells them about her, it being her home, and lies down. They discuss what to do with her, and call her Antonia. Sheila asks the nuns and nurses to sing while wearing their uniforms and habits. They decide to do it to honor Sister Monica Joan. Nurse Crane and Sister Evangelina discuss Sister Monica Joan and how she talked about being home for Christmas. Sister Evangelina tells Peter that she thinks Sister Monica Joan is at her house, but when they are not fast enough, she enlists Fred to take her there. Let's talk about the measles and mm. Mr. Swan. And let's maybe start. I want to, like, the measles. Um, Sheila has been like, you gotta 
uh, stop things and then he does stop then dr turner does stop things including the choir and she's like well bummer but yeah. she understands <laughs> right um that all happens but then tom and sheila go see mr swan and they're like we can't have a children's choir because it's they're quarantined and he's like I went on in Peter Pan when I had the flu and the show must go on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's all very, uh, like, in, in broad. Yeah. And my favorite part of this scene and, uh, you know, jumping ahead, in contention for my favorite part of the episode is Sheila's response to that, which is, I'm sorry you weren't better taken care of as a child. You should not have had to be Peter Pan when you were sick. <laughs> and he says, I wasn't even Peter Pan. I was Smee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, like, delivery of that line, the, like, he's, yeah, I should have been better taken care of. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. And so good. I, like, I, I love, love it. Yeah, I love it, too. And I love that, like, it, yeah, that Sheila's uh, modus operandi here is, you should have been taken care of better. <laughs> You shouldn't have had to go on when you were sick. Yeah. And he doesn't, he isn't like, oh, posh. He's like, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so funny and so good. Yeah. And they, like, are going to have a choir, uh, uh, children's choir service without children. And how are they going to manage that? We'll find out next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to talk about uh, Iris, too? There's just... Not a lot of her in this section, so do you want to, like... Well, um, I watched both the DVD and the edited version, and the part where she talks about not having joy at Christmas for 22 years was actually, I don't think, in the slightly edited with commercials version. Oh, no. And I was like, that is... She talks about having joy, and then later she names her daughter Joy. Like, you're... That's really dumb that you would cut that it That's takes a lot out of it part. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and that it has been yeah 22 years so long time and we talked that cradle we talked about right, she yes. thought about donating it or giving it gifting it to her niece but she didn't want to see it with another baby in it yeah like she maybe did and maybe didn't and so it's a real uh it's a real moment for her to be mm-hmm. donating it to the be used as the manger. They asked her husband, the greengrocer, for an orange box to put the baby in, and mm-hmm. they brought the cradle instead. Uh, it's a a real yeah, it is a real moment for her. And where that comes from, we didn't really talk about because it mostly happens in like cutscenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Uh, She's helping with all the preparing for the children's choir and finding joy in Christmas is what we see her doing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really, like, there's not much to it. We just kind of see it happening. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Sister Evangelina or Delia? Or Sister Sister Monica Joan or Delia and Patsy first? Um, We can talk about Delia and Patsy. I like their scene... That it feels like, well, that we get this revelation that the the letters haven't been making it, which yep. I think the mother, she says her mother doesn't suspect, but I feel like maybe this is a hint that she does suspect what's actually going on. 
Yep. But I love that Delia just like she begs her like, "Don't let us go. Don't let me go." And and Patsy's like, "Yeah." <laughs> you know? yeah like, I know. She doesn't need to be begged. She's waiting there for her. It I is know, not a big it's really deal. Sweet. It's like Delia gives this big speech of everything she should say, and Patsy's like, "How would I just say?" stay yeah. <laughs> or come, come back home. come home and like yeah that's good too <laughs> we yeah. don't... um it's like yeah it's hard to know delia seems to think maybe correctly that her mother is just overprotective and doesn't want her in london and worries mm-hmm. about her health and so she does but whether it's because she's you know anti-english or anti uh uh london or auntie her daughter being independent or worried about her health or whether because she's knows that she's gay and wants to stifle that for whatever reason her mother is uh keeping her from london Mm -hmm. keeping her from patsy trying not to let her she we saw a little line of like you'll we're here for christmas and then we'll say goodbye to this city forever Mm mm-hmm and Delia wants to come back and work in London again because she says in this scene, my life is here and you are here. Mm-hmm. And her mother won't doesn't want to let her. And it's like a question mark whether she'll be able to... Like she needs a clean bill of health in order to defy her mother, really. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Sister Monica Joan, uh, in a very on-the-nose Christmas moment... Finds shelter in a barn. <laughs> she does. Because so, there was no room at the inn. Because there's no room at the inn. She talks to a rat, which is gross. And she like says, yells at the cows. <laughs> do you know she says to the what rat? What does she say to the rat? Thinkst thou because thou art a rat, there shall be no more cakes and ale? Do you know mm-hmm. what that is? No. It's a paraphrase, but it's a quote from Twelfth Night. Ah, uh, okay. It doesn't really make any sense in no. the context, but... Sister Monica Joe is not making sense. But the no. line in Twelfth Night is, Thinks thou because thou art virtuous, there shall be no more cakes and ale. Uh, so in the context of Twelfth Night, it's like, do you think just because you're good, you don't get to have any fun anymore? <laughs> Sister Monica Joan, who we've seen before be on the side of rats. Yes, that's true. Is like, rats can have fun too. <laughs> the idea of cakes and ale, like it's a weird line, but the idea of cakes and ale is connected to Sister Monica Joan's whole story in this mm-hmm. episode of like, do I'm just because I'm a nun, just because I'm old, just because I'm is there no more joy? And that's partly her like rich upbringing, but it's also like tinsel and TV and Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she finds her way to her childhood home uh, and is like not well. No. <laughs> We've known the like. In the recap, it's maybe not clear, and if you watched it, it is clear, but, like, until after they, uh, Sister Evangelina and Sister uh, Julianne identify the body that it isn't Sister Monica Joan, it's only after that that we see her. Yes. It's like, this far into the episode, she's gone, they're all looking for her, they find a dead body who's an old lady, they come out to identify her and we the audience still don't know that she's okay yeah of course in the first watching of this it's terrifying because you think it really might be her yep and yeah it's what do you think remember like how do you feel about that do you feel like they were being unfair with the audience 
Is it? Maybe a little bit. They were, they were really trying to pull at your heartstrings to make you think maybe it's her. But I think that I like the way it plays out that they're relieved that it's her, but still sad that it's someone. Yeah. Who like essentially is a Jane Doe. And they and Sister Julianne has to find clothing for her to wear. And uh, it could have easily have been her. Mm-hmm. And I also like... I'm undecided. On one hand, I feel like it's manipulative of the audience to, like, make you think that it's Sister Monica Joan until the last minute. But on the other hand, I feel like it is kind of playing fair with the audience because we are with Sister Julianne and Sister Evangelina, who do not know that Sister Monica Joan is okay. Yeah, exactly. So if we, the audience, did know she was okay when they didn't, it would rob a lot of their worry and anxiety of its emotional weight you know yes exactly exactly so she was she is okay sort of she's quite very ill she's not dead she's not necessarily she thinks she she thinks she is she's saying how like this is where i was born and this is gonna be where i die yeah about the house and she uh reminisces over her childhood there this is where we hear her say she was not often happy Mm-hmm. But it was her home, and that's connected back again to, like, what she said about going home at Christmas. And the, um, what I said earlier about birth and death both being the beginning and the end of a journey. Mm-hmm. And so she's, this is where I was born, and this is where I lived, and this is where I'm going to die. And she's all prepared for her death. And she's reverting back to her childhood name that they, they only know her as Antonio, Antonio. The squatters only know her as Antonia. Yeah. They don't know that she's a nun and everything. We have a little flashback in her mind of like, Antonia, we found a Bible in your room again. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, <laughs> <That's funny>. okay. <laughs> I don't know if that meant to imply that she's like hidden the Bible or if like, how dare you read the Bible? <laughs> but uh, a little of each, maybe. A little of both. Um. And this home, there's also, like, her childhood home was a school, and now it's not a school. Now it's condemned because there's nuclear uh, silo nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, like, that's also, it's not anyone's home. Mm-hmm. She goes back to her home, and it's not her family home. Her family doesn't live there, and no one lives there. Yeah, There's a couple of squatters. Because it's an abandoned building that they think of as an old school, not as an old home. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's also just like... He says, that was before our time. And she's like, child, everything was before your time or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I, I think I wrote it down. All the world was before your time, child. <laughs> I love it. I lo- it's a really good line. Yeah. Before our time, all the world was before your time. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is like... A commentary on his youth, but also a commentary on, like, that's true of all of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and Sister Evangelina and Nurse Crane do get there with the, with the audience of, like, she's gone home. She was talking about home. But even where that home is, Sister Evangelina has to search through the files and find exactly where her home was. It's not, like, a known thing. Yeah. And she gets, she enlists Fred with a truck full of Christmas trees. 
<laughs> um, she tells Peter he's wet behind the ears. So it's her telling another person that you're too young to understand how important this is, even though Peter is obviously in distress about it, too. Yeah. I like when he gets the phone call about the woman dead. Uh, he's obviously very affected and worried. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll have to search your missing persons roster. I know the procedure. Yeah. Yeah. So, Peter, by the way, uh, Peter in this, but no Chummy anymore. Yeah. Uh, Chummy's still off doing her thing, and but Peter still gets to be in the show. This, uh, the director of this episode, Juliette May, is uh, her, one of the other things she does a lot of directing is Miranda, which is the show that um, um, Chummy is on instead of this. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I blame her. For uh, Chubby not being on this show. Miranda's an awesome show and everyone should watch it. She went off and did her own thing. Fine, I guess. It is funny. Um, Should we move on to the next section? Or did you have more to say about this? Just that um, the other little thing that happens in here is Sheila... We didn't mention when we were talking about the play. And I'm looking at... I'm remembering... I'm looking at your notes and recap... And uh, this is also the section where Sheila uh, convinces Sister Julienne to have the nuns and nurses sing instead of the children. Mm -hmm. And they decide to do it in honor of Sister Monica Joan, who wanted uh, Christmas to be celebrated and was looking for joy in Christmas. And that's where Sister Julienne, that's how Sister Julienne makes peace with it, even though kind of being uncomfortable with singing on television and turning a church service into a television service. She is doing it in honor of Sister Monica Joan. And there is a whole thing about their uniforms. Like Patsy goes to change out of her uniform before going out with Delia, which is like, yeah, it's uncomfortable and you want to be in your street clothes or whatever. But there is a whole like throughout the show, Mm -hmm. we only wear our uniforms when we're doing our uniform things. Yep. Whereas, like, the the nuns are always in their habits, so that's pretty normal to have them in their habits. But the midwives to be singing in uh, nursing co- nursing outfits, and then that Mr. Swan wants frilly nursing caps. Yes. Is there a chance of frilly nursing caps? Barbara, yes, they could be very frilly indeed. <laughs> exactly. All right, so moving on. Iris falls ill and goes to see Dr. Turner. She thinks it's a kidney stone, but it turns out she's in labor. She panics, and Sister Julienne comes to deliver, since she was there for Lorna's birth. She has a baby girl, whom they name Joy. Sister Evangelina arrives at Sister Monica Jones' side and prays with her. She wakes, and they pray together. Sister Monica Joan confesses that she pawned her mother's jewels, and Fred takes them back to Poplar, where she recovers. Delia and Patsy meet up, and she promises to be back in London soon with a clean bill of health. Violet rigs the raffle so that Iris wins it. (laughs) Baby Joy is placed in the manger as the nuns and midwives sing Silent Night for the filmed church service. Lastly, mature Jenny narrates that Sister Monica Joan used her funds to buy a new Christmas pudding and a television for Nanata's house. <laughs> so we 
mentioned it already, but this is where at last uh, Iris is pregnant. Uh, this is the miraculous birth of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, miraculous because she didn't know she was pregnant at all because she's been mourning for so long. She never thought she would have another child. Mm-hmm. She never thought she could find joy in this in Christmas again. And it's all uh, kind of comes together both literally and symbolically in the birth of a baby that she names Joy. Mm-hmm. She is 46, she says. And like, how did this happen? And uh, Sheila says, it's not the first time. It's it's unusual, but not unheard of. And there's a, a thing some every once in a while in women... Uh, just before menopause is a, like a fertile time. And so that's often these surprised late in life babies right. happen at that time. Uh, and this is, this is what Iris has happened to her, but her reaction to finding out she's in labor, yeah, her panic. And I don't feel safe. And sister Julianne said that I need to feel safe. And they do everything they can to make her feel that way, including getting sister julianne to come and deliver the baby where we don't often see sister julianne at births anymore no like she is she is still a practicing midwife but Mm -hmm. she's not on the normal roster yeah yeah and i think that it really was something yeah that speaks to sister julianne and speaks to their whole situation they do everything she can they can to make her comfortable I had remembered this episode. I remembered uh, Sister Monica Jones' whole story. I remembered that uh, Delia comes back. I hadn't quite remembered that it was so immediately that Delia comes back after leaving. Mm -hmm. But I remembered all of that story. Uh, I did not remember this birth. And so even when she came in with her uh, pain... I didn't see it coming. Mm -hmm. And so, like, even on the second watch, like, somehow that didn't stick in my memory. And I was really surprised that she was pregnant, that she was in labor. Yeah, absolutely. That was very, it's a, it's a big twist. (laughs) And like, once again, though, the, uh, what I, what we've said all through this whole show, but also this episode of like, grief and joy. Mm-hmm. That like this panic over being in labor, as well as like it's uh, Sheila and uh, Patrick, Doctor Turner, both kind of like smile at each other and they're like, "Oh, you're you're not kidney stones," but she's not like, "Oh, right." Mm-hmm. She's so panicked, and that connects again, I think, to this idea in this episode of like. Birth, death, grief, joy, they're all tangled up together. Mm-hmm. And Sister, Ju- Sister Julianne says to her, uh, your love for yes. Lorna won't be diminished or halved. It will be doubled. Yeah. Which is so true of having a second child is that your love doesn't half for your first child. It doubles. Yeah. Yeah. And we have... Um, we didn't really mention it in the recaps or we didn't talk about it at all, but there's all through this episode, there's this raffle uh, Mm -hmm. to like win a bunch of baby stuff. And Iris entered on behalf of her uh, niece 
And Violet rigs the raffle so that she wins, so that they get all the baby stuff that they need because she was not prepared at all. She says, like, I don't have a hat or a (laughs) mittens for this baby. They gave away their cradle. I'm sure they'll give the cradle back. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) But, like... That's literally the only thing they have is that cradle. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had... when In the last scene with, like... A baby in the manger, well, at least it better be a good-looking baby, says uh, Mr. Swan. Swan, And they don't know who it'll be. And then, of course, it's Iris's baby, Joy. Mm -hmm. It's the real baby put in the cradle to represent Jesus in the manger. uh, Because uh, she's a... I mean... Because she's a baby from the real world perspective, but from the show's perspective, because she's a miracle baby that ties the themes all together so mm-hmm. nicely. Exactly. Do you want to talk about Delia and Patsy? Yes. Kissing in a phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Almost kissing in a phone booth. They, they come say. so close and then someone knocks on the door. <laughs> There's people waiting out here. Yeah. There's people waiting in here. But yeah. So they agree to that Delia, Delia agrees to come back when she gets a clean bill of health, which she says she's going to make them give her. Mm-hmm. Um, so not a lot Plot-wise, not a lot really happens, but uh, it ties up the reunion between them. Mm-hmm. That we have, like, a confirmation from Delia that this isn't... We saw each other one last time in London. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's coming back. So Sister Evangelina arrives uh, and prays over Sister Monica Joan, and that's such a powerful moment of her praying and then sister evangel a sister monica joan waking up and praying with her Mm -hmm. and the last time of course that they saw each other they were yelling at each other Yeah, exactly so that's like specifically we've they've said it in dialogue like while they were looking for sister monica joan but here we really see that uh they're the idea of the nuns as sisters Mm-hmm. Um, and Sister Evangelina being the one who finds her is fitting and and she comes to her childhood home mm-hmm. and takes her back I thought Sister Monica Joan was going to die yes I was really surprised when this episode not this time because that's a part one of the things I remembered but when I first watched this episode and the episode ended with her still alive I was like what? Yeah yeah, absolutely absolutely she does seem often close to death Barbara describes her as nearly 90 which like she's uh, yeah yeah She's, it would have been, keeps I, recovering at nearly 90 is surprising. Like, maybe we can uh, leave the show, like leave the world of the show to talk from outside for just one second again about like, I like Sister Monica Joan being on the show, but uh, do you think it was a mistake to bring her back? Like this would have been a satisfying end to her life. It would have been. I think, uh, yeah, I think maybe Call the Midwife, the show, wants to keep her around as her, with her role and the actress and all that stuff. But I do think that this may have been 
a very satisfying end. Yeah. But it was also satisfying to have her be... Yeah. Come to terms with some stuff about her childhood. Come to terms with Sister Evangelina and return to Namana's house and buy them all a television. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) She buys it with it. She's supposed to have a vow of poverty. She's not supposed to have personal possessions, but the TV isn't a personal possession. She she pawned the jewels. Yeah. Which which also speaks to like she was of so, enough sound mind. Yeah. When she left that she was able to pawn jewels and make her way to this to her childhood home. She seems so and sometimes she is, but she seems so like disconnected from reality. Yeah. But she manages here and often to to be shrewd enough actually mm-hmm. yeah so any last thoughts before i ask uh, what was your favorite part of the episode paul <laughs> I oh i was you. gonna ask you i asked you before you could ask me i i said it when it came by and having thought more like i've been thinking in the back of my head since i said it but I'm going to go with the silliness. I think that uh, I didn't even get to be Peter Pan. I was me is my favorite part. That was so funny. Yeah. And it also like, it mostly is my favorite because it's funny, but it also is like this moment of uh, sister. I I mean, (laughs) of uh, Sheila, like puncturing his pomposity just with earnestness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I liked. Absolutely. How about you? What was your favorite part? Um, oh, I had so many in this episode. Both uh, sad and funny. I think that um, the the part where there's ample salt in that gravy mm-hmm. is just a funny line. And I like the way Nurse Crane says it. I just remembered something that we forgot, we forgot to talk about, which is when Sheila and Timothy are playing the piano together. <laughs> I the, know what you're going to say. And the song has the word breast in it. And Timothy is embarrassed of that and says that the children are embarrassed to sing this line because of the word in it. And Sheila is just blissfully unaware. And is like, oh, breast? Like... this is where the music should swell it always peters off for some reason she says he's like there's a word that no one wants to sing that starts with b exactly (laughs) yeah that's a great moment um there's also uh, a moment we didn't mention i'm sorry i'm just coming back to the front of my notes and realizing them that when our iris is giving birth her husband is sitting out waiting to waiting for her and the the, dr turner offers him a cigarette he tries to smoke it but he's shaking so hard that dr turner has to hold it for him and he's like there you go nice steady drag (laughs) because it's the doctor is prescribing cigarettes yep what a world what a world can we shout out uh other like the fight between sister evangelina and sister monica joan was a favorite moment not a funny one, but yeah. like I loved that moment of well done. Uh, vulnerability and anger between them, and like Patsy reappearing. My, I mean uh, Delia. Delia reappearing. The uh, 
as a moment, my like maybe favorite moment of that is just like they're on the bus and and she just sees her, mm-hmm. and that was just such yeah. like a what we didn't dwell on it when it when you recapped it, but like they're just driving past. She just sees her driving past, and it's just like what what yeah, and she can't do anything about it at that moment. And I, that was also like a favorite epi- a favorite moment yeah. of the episode. There's a lot. In this this is an extra long. Uh, yes. episode as being the Christmas special and a bit of an extra long episode of our podcast, probably. I don't know how long we've been talking for. We took a break in the middle, so we really don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you'd like to talk to us about this episode or any other episode of Call the Midwife, uh, we love chatting with people on Discord. That's been kind of a hop in place lately. So the link to that will be in the show notes. Uh, where else can people contact us, Paul? You can email poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can find us on Twitter, at Poplar Opinion. Uh, those are the best places to find us. Um, clockworksacademy.com is also a uh, the hub of an online school where you can find other things from me. And thank you so very much for listening this week. I have been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my Poplar Opinion. Thank you.